KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. We have such sights to show you. And indeed we do, but maybe a little bit late. Welcome back to listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. I'm Beth Accomando. For most people, Halloween is one day a year. But for me, it's 365 days a year, with October 31st being the high holy day when I run a home haunt, and then on November 1st, I begin planning next year's haunt, just in case I can take advantage of any post-Halloween sales. But since building a haunt consumes me for most of the month of October, I rarely get to enjoy the festivities that everyone else indulges in. So, I just say all of this as a preface and excuse for my belated Cinema Junkie Halloween episode. Today, I want to share two things with you. First, my obsession with building home haunts and scaring the crap out of kids. And second, replaying the scary movie picks Yazdi Pithavala and I did last week for Midday Movies. I need to take a quick break, and then I'll be back to extend your Halloween season with some spooky treats. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Welcome back to Cinema Junkie. I'm Beth Accomando, and I'm a home haunter. And yes, it's an addiction. Fortunately, I have friends who understand and feed that addiction. But some people can't wrap their heads around what being a home haunter actually is. Do I let people wander through my decorated house? Do I dress in an elaborate costume to answer the door and hand out candy? Well, my friend and former KPBS producer, Nico Will, got tired of trying to explain to her friends why she couldn't do anything with them for the last week of October. So she decided to interview me about what exactly home haunting is. She and her husband saw have helped me make tentacles for Cthulhu's Temple of Horror, build a prison for an electric chair, make coffins for Dracula's castle. And last year, while they were helping construct a torture tower and moving walls for our hellbound haunt, Nico decided to interview me and one of my key partners in crime, Kevin Walsh. started a long time ago when uh, my ex-husband used to love to build tunnels out of two by fours and plastic tarp and duct tape. And that was the foundation of all our early haunts. And 
This was all fueled by the idea that we loved to scare kids and to have a kid run from your house screaming and preferably dropping their candy bag on the way is the true sign of a successful home haunt. One of my favorite stories is we had these two young teenage girls who came and said, is there any way that we could work at your haunt? We live down the street. And we were doing a demented Santa that year. So that meant we had two buckets, one for naughty, which had body parts, and one for nice, which had the chocolate bars, if you were good. So um, we said, sure, if you want to help, you could be elves. And so they were the screeching elves who just terrified kids who were coming up. And I complimented them at one point, and I said, wow, you're doing a really good job. And they said, oh, Miss Beth, we came here when we were like three years old and you scared the crap out of us. And we want, we just been waiting to come back and do it to someone else. So I know that I may have scarred some children, but I think, you know, I mean, the haunt is kind of like Scooby-Doo when you were a kid. Like you knew it was safe. You knew that in the end somebody was going to get unmasked and, you know, but on the way there, you would be a little bit scared because you weren't sure what was happening. And I think everybody kind of knows that when you go to a haunt, you may get scared, but it's within certain parameters. I write the haunt. Um, I, I, I write the script. I, I direct the artistic elements of it, I guess. Regarding the structure of the haunt, it's, it's an interesting exercise because we know we have a particular space that we're working with, with particular dimensions, and it's always structured in a way that people have to enter and exit from the same spot. So within those parameters, we, we try to build a narrative. Our radar, negative contacts. All clear about the M spectrum. Very well. Doctor, what are we looking at? Oh, wow. We've got four organs of indeterminate purpose. Sir, this is like no biology I've ever seen. And then from there, it's like, what, what sort of iconic elements can we conjure from whatever, uh, you know, theme we're playing on? It's another on? huge inbound! My God, it's another ship! Where? Right above us! And try to make four, maybe, moments that we can hit people with and hopefully escalate to the point where there's a big thing they don't expect and send them out. They're already here! <laughs> has to be a punchline and a real hit so that you have no option but to run out is the idea. So like we had Cthulhu coming out of my pool with tentacles built out of, you know, pool noodles. And, you know, I had a friend who's a sound designer who's worked on Spider-Man movies who created the sound of the earth cracking open. And then uh, one of my son's friends was a DJ. And so he brought these massive speakers so you could feel like the earth rumble when it would crack open. We had tentacles that fell on people and you know that was a moment when that suddenly comes out and then you have 
the haunt people also screaming, saying, get out, get out, and then you and usher you them out. <laughs> Kids crying. Them we hope so. Right, that's the goal. That's the goal. Make children cry. <laughs> that is. We the do goal. sound like a sick. Whoa, are you recording yeah. this? Yeah, I hope that's okay. Uh oh. What? Make she's children she's recording. cry. You're the, this is the third time it's been said, so I don't think there's any secret that that is the main no. goal here. What that we love to make children cry. I don't necessarily want to make them cry. Run yes, screaming do. from the house. One of our simplest gags. All we had was we had a mad scientist and a monster on a chain. Monster was in the back of the room, and the kids would come to the door. They would be a little hesitant, and the mad scientist would say, Don't worry, the monster can't cross this line. And the kids would step right up, take the candy bar, and of course the monster would cross the line and run out. Simplest gag in the world. And kids would scream like crazy. And part of that one was we broke a trust. We betrayed them, and they don't expect that. You know, they come to the door, they expect the adult who's there to be telling them the truth. And then when you don't, it's scary. Did you feel bad about that? No. <laughs> like I said, I mean, I'm sure there's a few kids who's been, who've been scarred. But, you know, I do get other feedback. I, we did a carnival at the school once, and this little kid came through, and I was taking a break at the back of the haunt, and he came by because I knew him outside of that. And he was like, Miss Beth, Miss Beth. And he had this Power Ranger costume on the head, like a little apron in the front. And he lifted it up and he goes, Miss Beth, I peed my pants. I was so scared. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And he says, it's okay. I went through again. And so, like, yeah, he was scared. But obviously, he was scared in such a way that it, it entertained and made him happy. And he came through again. It is hard to describe because... Um, when you say I'm going to help someone with a Halloween haunt, you get a whole spectrum of, of thoughts that come into people's heads. They imagine a full house where people are going through a house. A lot of people do mazes, you know, with people who just jump out, booga booga type of thing. Um, and what we do here is just a little bit different. You know, we try to give them kind of a, a narrative, a story to bring them through. Um, and yet it is very much just like this thing my friend does in her yard, you know, and it's not professional. Everybody's volunteering their time. So the wall reveals you. Get him off me. Oh, God, stop it. Get it. Yeah. There's 300 people that, you know, line up outside and we do it 30 times in a night. So um, I don't know how to describe that, really. It's a sort of its own thing. You know, anybody who wants to perform or put on a show or make a movie, it's the audience reaction that you're doing it for. And so with a haunt, it's a very immediate and clear cut reaction. A haunt that we do is probably like a five minute show. And if you succeed, people run from your house screaming. If you fail, they're just kind of lingering around in your back lo backyard looking at you wondering like what just happened. Thank you, that made it totally worthwhile. <laughs> we definitely try to bring the people into it immersively as part of the design. Let's move in. Everyone, big delegation, let's keep moving, let's keep moving. 
Let's get up there. Leave me my security buffer up there by the gurney. I don't want anybody getting any kind of funky alien virus on my watch. Part of it is because there are absolutely people for whom that in and of itself is a fear. And so making them uncomfortable <laughs> helps all around. You, you get a sense of it from year to year. You get a sense of it over the course of a night. You see different people who are performing in the hunt. You just sort of hone in. Like, they know precisely the person to pay attention to who's going to be the most uncomfortable to have attention paid to them. And then that just makes it more fun for that whole group. Um, and so we try to design as much stuff like that in the story. I mean, there are things that you discover over the course, like when we did the Cthulhu hunt, just part of this bit I did at the beginning, the greeter bit, I slapped the gate at one point to just make it you know, emphasize a point. And three people jumped. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be slapping the gate every time now. And then in subsequent haunts, the greet had kind of a slap the gate moment in it because there'll always be someone who jumps at that. Now more people are coming. No, you can't go any further. It's not safe. You understand? It's not safe. My friend Harley passed through these doors hours ago, and we've had people who just, they just, nope, they just left right at that moment. So, which is great. I think I count that as a win, even though they don't see the rest of the haunt. We've achieved our goal. I would consider myself antisocial and probably a misanthrope. So, um, you know, just engage, like chit chat is probably the most terrifying thing to me, you know, going into work and having a coworker say, how was your weekend is probably the, the, the worst kind of interaction I can imagine. So you've got, oh, that's eyeballs. There's fingers and, fingers. and eyeballs. There's hands, more various, eyeballs and fingers. Various states of decay. Yes, there are also that. Well, there's a loose finger. Ooh, a heart. There's a heart. Oh, that's a I do this because I, I I love horror, you know. Uh, Beth's a very good friend. Um, we, we bond a lot over our shared love of movies and horror in particular. Um, this is just a great group of people. And so, the, I, you know, there's also the frustrated performer in me from the, the years ago when I was, uh, you know, would do improv comedy and stuff. And it's like, okay, so I get to do a little acting and scare people. And you just, uh, it's fun. I mean, it's such a rush. And people appreciate it. They seem to have a good time. What more could you ask, you know? Oh yeah, we did Killer Clowns the year after the pandemic, and Nico drove the clown car. And just so you know, we get about two to three hundred people coming through the haunt, and everyone walks away with a full-size candy bar. Thanks to Nico Will for capturing the madness of home haunting. And thanks to Nico and Saw for flying down from Tacoma once again to help me build a haunt this year. But the theme was a little less scary. It was Star Wars, but we did have a Rancor monster. to take one last break and then I'll be back with some scary movie picks to keep the Halloween season going. But first, a message from Silver Shamrock.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Welcome back to KPBS listener-supported Cinema Junkie. I'm Beth Accomando. Last week, MovieWalla's Yazdi Pathavala and I did a midday movie segment recommending films to watch on Halloween night. So if you missed that discussion, or if, like me, you're suffering from some post-Halloween blues and need a spooky pick-me-up, here are some films to cheer you up with a little darkness. Since our biggest challenge is always narrowing down our selection to just a few titles, I decided that for my picks, I would only recommend films that actually take place on Halloween. Otherwise, the pool of films was just too big. I asked Yazdi if he set any parameters on his choices. I, Beth, did not want to pick the usual go-to horror films, the obvious scary films that everyone goes to, and just go with some unusual picks. To start with, you picked a recent Indian horror film, and before you tell us the title, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about the horror genre in India, because it feels like to me that every country kind of has a unique flavor to their horror. If you think about South Korean films, they make you care deeply about the characters and then do horrific things to them. Uh, Italian horror tends to be kind of operatic and very stylish. So do you think there's anything special about Indian horror? Indian horror since the 60s and 70s was a very popular genre, subgenre of films in India. And there were the famous Ramsey brothers, which made, they had a factory house of horror films that would churn out very popular uh, because, you know, the movie showed a little bit of skin. They were also a little bit, of, little bit scary. And, you know, the midnight audience would lap up those films. But I really like the resurgence of horror, which has happened in the last five to 10 years in Indian cinema. And these are filmmakers who are really steeping their films completely within Indian folklore and using Indian mythology and, you know, demons and gods and those kinds of things to kind of ground their films. And I really, I think that adds so much more flavor to those films, uh, especially to Western audiences who may not be familiar with a lot of the Indian mythology when it comes to horror. All right, I haven't seen this one, but I did watch the trailer, which looked fabulous. So tell us what this first pick is. So my first pick is a movie called Tumbad, which is uh, screening on Amazon Prime. And uh, this film takes Indian folklore and blends it with horror so effortlessly to create something entirely unique. The premise of the movie is that there is an evil being which is trapped in the womb of a goddess who watches over an abandoned mansion and protects a treasure that no one can get to for fear of their life. Until a child who has grown up under the terror of that creature grows up to figure out how to get at that treasure. The film is shot in constantly rainy, muddy tones and it's frankly a marvel of cinematography. It taps into the theme of the deadly price of human greed, but it does it with remarkable finesse. I mean, this is just a very good looking movie to watch. It's a visual treat to see and one that effectively manages to scare as well. Is it hauntingly beautiful or is it beautifully haunting? You decide. And my first pick also has some haunting beauty and children in it. And it's the 2016 Australian film called Boys in the Trees by Nicholas Verso. 
And I know there are a lot of popular and well-known films that are set on Halloween, but I did, like you, want to try and find some titles that are not as commonly recommended for a Halloween viewing. So I love finding something new, and I found this coming-of-age film dressed up in the tropes of a horror movie. So it's set on Halloween night with all the trappings of a horror film. Tis the night, the night of the grave's delight, and the warlocks are at their play. Ye think that without the wild wind shout, but no, it is they, it is they. And what I love about this film is how all the familiar Halloween scares of ghosts and werewolves turn out to be metaphors for much scarier real-world horrors like bullying or betrayal or just someone's loss of their dreams. So there are no jump scares or gory kills, but there's lots of Halloween atmosphere and a really beautiful visual style. Sometimes it might be a bit too on the nose with the analogies, but I really love the care and craft of this film. Mm. This reminds me, Beth, of one of my favorite films, which didn't make uh, our list here, but Pan's Labyrinth by uh, Guillermo del Toro, which also deals with a little girl who is kind of trying to deal with the gruesome things happening in the real world by virtue of the imaginary one that she concocts in her head. And since we're speaking of craft, your next pick is also one of my favorite movies, and this is Bone Tomahawk. So why did you want to recommend this film? Uh, Beth, I have you to thank for actually introducing me to this film, and I remember championing it pretty strong when it was first released. I love this movie because it pulls off the most deft fusion of genres, It seems for the most part to be a sturdy Western about a sheriff who enlists a posse of men to go save three people who are abducted by what seems at first a Native American tribe. And it is only when we find out more about the nature of this tribe that we realize the film's true horror ambitions. You know who did this? There's only one group that hunts with these. Who? They don't have a name. kind of tribe doesn't have a name? One that doesn't have a language, cave dwellers. You know where they are? I have a general idea. You'll take us to them? I won't. Because you're an Indian? Because I don't want to get killed. You're afraid of your own kind? They're not my kind. They're a spoiled bloodline of inbred animals that rape and eat their own mothers. This is a cannibalistic tribe of troglodytes who will spare no mercy to get what they want. The film is thrillingly paced and gruesome and cruel, I believe this one deserves its place on the list of films with relentless terror. And this is one of those films that is a slow burn. It takes its time getting there. And when it gets to that point, it just like goes off a cliff. (laughs) It takes a left turn that it does not come back from. I love that when the film gets in the last 15 to 30 minutes, it gets into this area where everything is dialed up to 11. And from that point onwards, it does not skip a beat. And you as the audience member forget to breathe as well. And what's interesting about this film is I know that S. Craig Zoller, the director, was asked to trim it down and was told, well, there seems to be scenes where nothing's really happening. But as with South Korean films, part of the the trick of this is he really makes you fall in love with these characters so that when horrific things happen, it really rips your heart and gut out. So Kurt Russell plays the the sheriff and Patrick Wilson. All of these characters, you really grow to kind of like them 
and you're invested in them mm -hmm. so that when the script turns, it screws. Oh, it hurts. It really does hurt. Yeah. Yes, it does. And Bone Tomahawk uses kind of social structure, the, the town and, and kind of traditional things that you depend on for rescuing you or saving you. And they use it in an interesting way. And so does my next pick. So I picked a brand new film and I have an author friend of mine, Cody Goodfellow, to thank for this, who just a couple of days ago said, if you haven't seen Dark Harvest, you need to stream it right away. And it's on Prime right now. It's from director David Slade, who also made a film called Hard Candy and 30 Days of Night. It ain't over. So it opens just a few days before Halloween in 1963. It's kind of a period film, but not 100% realistic. It's set in a small town that has a horrific annual Halloween ritual. One of your classmates will certainly die. That thing grows all year long in our fields, only to rise up every Halloween night with a single solitary purpose, to destroy our way of life. Your sacred duty is to take down Sawtooth Jack before that church bell rings at midnight. And to get you fat little Nancys ready, we make you hungry for it. Three days! No food, no mommy, no nothing. One of the surprises about this film is it looked absolutely gorgeous. The cornfields were amazing, the nighttime shots, the pumpkin-headed creature, it all looked spectacular. And it's really a shame that this went directly to streaming and never got a theatrical release. It has a little bit of kind of this American Gothic vibe to it, which is that everything in the town seems kind of white picket fence and pleasant, but there's something very dark underneath. It also has a little bit of the purge vibe to it, but it feels much more cleverly plotted and with much more measured and beautifully shot violence. So I also like how it creates kind of a whole new Halloween folklore to go by. So I highly recommend this and it's streaming so you can get to it very easily. So, Beth, I didn't realize that this film that you just recommended is made by David Slade, who also made the film Hard Candy. You mentioned about it. And Hard Candy itself is certainly a great film to recommend for Halloween. It also stars Patrick Wilson, who is in Bone Tomahawk. And it's this cat and mouse game that occurs between two individuals. And there's it's almost a, a crime to give away more. But uh, certainly this director knows what he's doing. And... Your final pick is also a favorite of mine, and it's from one of my favorite directors, David Cronenberg. And this film is proof that a remake can be good. So what have you got? I've got the prototype film from the master of body horror, as you mentioned, David Cronenberg, uh, The Fly. The Fly was a remake of a 1958 film and a short before that. And I think Cronenberg just elevates that story. And even now, 40 years later, when you watch it, you realize that the marvel of his craft remains undimmed more than 40 years later as we watch with equal parts amazement and queasiness. This is a story of a scientist trying to teleport himself and he fails to see a fly that flew into the device. And initially, he's quite invigorated by it. So I asked the computer if it had improved me and it said it didn't know what I was talking about and that's made me think very carefully about what I've been feeling and why, I'm beginning to think that the sheer process of being taken apart atom by atom and put back together again 
why it's like coffee being put through a filter it's somehow a purifying process it's purified me it's cleansed me and i'll tell you i think it's going to allow me to realize the personal potential i've been neglecting all these years that i've been uh, obsessively pursuing goal after goal but as we know with cronenberg it's not going to go well yes it does not and being a cronenberg film the lead character slowly but surely starts to realize that he himself is morphing into a fly, at first behaviorally and then very much anatomically. This is a film, again, with effortless tension, and it's a very pleasing, glitzy-looking movie, but it certainly has far more ambitions, and it certainly survived the test of time. And also, it is strangely a love story. Yeah, it's it's also a love story because there is this tender romance at the heart between the Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis character. And, you know, you could see it as a allegory about two people who are right for each other until one of them literally changes. And, you know, how much can you change than a, per, than a human being becoming a fly? Okay, and I am going to close out our picks with a very well-known franchise, but I am going to go to a much maligned entry. I am going to suggest Halloween, but it's going to be Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And this is the only Halloween film that does not feature Michael Myers. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at 9. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. So that song and that commercial from the film is like an earworm that gets stuck in your head. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had the idea that maybe Halloween could be an anthology in which the holiday of Halloween was the anchor and the constant factor rather than one of the characters. So the film bombed. And many still hate it, but I think it's a really fun horror flick, perfect for Halloween night. It involves a witchy plot to sell Halloween masks that will kill the wearer on Halloween night, and it has the great Tom Atkins in it. And I will gladly take this Halloween over any of the Rob Zombie or David Gordon Green ones. And plus, I just love how that theme song gets stuck in your head. I mean, the first one is timeless. I mean, I, I, would, I could go back and watch that any number of times. It's, it's really, again, a marvel of how to create a pressure cooker in, in you know, 90 short minutes. Uh, yeah, again, one of those classics which will always be played. And yes, you can't go wrong with watching John Carpenter's original Halloween on Halloween night. But for a change of pace, I do suggest giving Season of the Witch Halloween 3 a try. So, Yazdi, I want to thank you very much for being my partner in crime for Midday Movies. Likewise, Beth. Always a pleasure. That was Movie Walla's Yazdi Pathavala. I hope doing a belated Halloween show helps extend the spooky season and inspires you to celebrate Halloween and the joys of horror 365 days a year, like I do. And I'm already planning a Godzilla haunt for next year. That wraps up another edition of KPBS listener-supported Cinema Junkie. If you enjoy the podcast, then please share it with a friend because your recommendation is the best way to build an addicted audience. You can also help by leaving a review. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.